Let's get into God's Word. Mark chapter 4, the title of the message today. This is the wrong PowerPoint. This is tonight's message. I can't wait to preach tonight's message, by the way. So I'll just go ahead and plug it. 1 Samuel chapter 17, famous story of David and Goliath. We're going to be in that story for the next two or three weeks, so you'll want to come there. But I'm not quite ready for that message yet. So let's, let's go Mark chapter 4. Open your copy of God's Word. The title of the message is Kingdom Growth. Kingdom Growth. Growth. We're going to be studying Mark chapter 4 and verses 26 through verse 32. Um, But instead of reading all of that, I want to get us started with just two phrases that give us the clear subject of these two parables that Jesus is teaching. And the phrases are found in verse 26 and in verse number 30. All right, look at verse number 26. And he said, so is the kingdom of God. Now look at verse number 30. And he said, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? So the subject of these parables is clearly the kingdom of God. And more specifically, as we'll find out, it is how the kingdom grows. But before we can understand how the kingdom grows, we need to understand what the kingdom of God is. I even asked my wife, the first lady of this great church, yesterday, I said, how would you describe the kingdom of God? And it kind of threw her off for a moment. She had a pretty good answer. Not completely right, but she had a pretty good answer. I bet you if I went and asked, even the most seasoned of Christians in this auditorium, explain the kingdom of God, then I'd get a lot of different answers. I think a lot of Christians understand the kingdom of God to mean a singular place. Like an earthly kingdom with an earthly king, but but more like an eternal kingdom with a heavenly king. And so some would instantly default to saying the kingdom of God, it's heaven. But I submit to you this morning that more than the kingdom of God is a place, it's kind of an idea. It's more of a figurative term used in Scripture to describe the work and purpose of God in the world through Jesus and His church. I would say it this way. I can explain the kingdom of God in three stages. It begins with the establishment stage. So if you remember, several months ago in Mark chapter 1, we studied how John the Baptist came as the forerunner to Jesus. And so he came and he said, I am here to prepare the way of the Lord. Like they would prepare the roads for an earthly king to make travel. He said, I'm going to make his way straight. I'm going to prepare the way for the king of kings to come to this earth. And of course, he was talking about Jesus. And and then when Jesus um, came In Mark chapter 1, he preached the gospel and this was the heading of his sermon in his words. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, when Jesus came to earth in a manger, lived for 30 years and then began his public ministry, that's when he that's when the, the kingdom of God was initially established. But then there's the expansion stage. That's when Jesus began to recruit his original 12 disciples that he would eventually turn into apostles. And he would commission them to carry on the work of the kingdom through the church. 
follow this. That's where we come today. We are part church. Fellowship Baptist Church today is part of, of the expanding the kingdom of God by preaching the gospel and doing our part to reach the world. By the way, we're doing a pretty big part. Missions Conference, we, we committed to give over $340,000 to missionaries this year. Somebody say amen to that. But the kingdom of God is not complete until we get to what I would call the completion stage. Uh, Jesus is going to come back. Could be today. When he comes back, he will judge Satan, cast him into the lake of fire, and then he will finally establish his literal kingdom on earth made up of all of those who have ever believed from every generation. So, there's the expansion or, or the establishment stage where Jesus first came. There's the completion stage when Jesus will come again. But we are living, and Jesus teaches in verse 26 through 32, about the expansion stage. He teaches about the stage the disciples were about to be in, the stage the church is in today. And he talks about how the kingdom in this expansion stage will grow. Kingdom growth. Do you understand? If you remember our last message, Jesus uh, taught via parable uh, about a sower who had cast his seed on these different types of soil. And we learned that the condition of the soil determined the fruitfulness of the seed that the sower would cast. Of course, the seed represented the word of God. The soil represents our heart. And Jesus said, if the word of God lands on a receptive heart, it will bear Fruit. Now listen, these, these, these following parables that I'm going to get into are connected with the parable we discussed two weeks ago in the first part of chapter 4. Because this is ultimately how the kingdom grows. The word of God is preached and as it lands on a soft heart, it transforms the life and it produces that life into a converted disciple. And the process is continually repeated. Oh, there's my message. Over and over and over again. Thus, as the more it's repeated, the more the kingdom of God expands and grows until it reaches its completion when Jesus comes back. And by the way, that is God's heart for his kingdom, growth. The Bible says God is unwilling that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everybody to be part of the kingdom of God. And so he teaches the disciples, it's my will that you take part in expanding the kingdom of God. And here's how. He's going to use two parables to teach three specific elements of kingdom growth. One element involves us as believers, our responsibility. The other two elements involves God's responsibility. For clarity's sake, I want to give you what I feel like is the main spiritual truth of both parables. I want to give it to you up front. Then I want to go to work on it for a little bit this morning. Here it is in a statement. Kingdom growth happens when human initiative meets divine intervention. Let that sink in for a moment. Kingdom growth happens when human initiative meets divine intervention. Let's study the first element of kingdom growth. Look at verse 26. And he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Here's the first truth we need to see. Kingdom growth is initiated by human involvement. It's initiated by human involvement. Now, this isn't very deep this morning, but it's true. Watch here. You, what you don't plant, you don't harvest. 
Okay? Souls will not be saved. The kingdom will not be expanded unless God's word is sown into the hearts of the lost. That's why the Apostle Paul said, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And God's way of planting the word of God into the hearts of lost men and women, boys and girls, is through saved men and women, boys and girls. If you are saved, you've been given the responsibility of a sower. Kingdom growth depends on your involvement. Listen to the verses in Romans 10. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how then shall they call on him whom they haven't believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a what? A preacher in this sense is not somebody like me that stands behind a pulpit on a Sunday. A preacher in this verse means anyone that is saved and carries the gospel. Meaning this, if you're saved, you're a preacher. Meaning you're responsible to preach the gospel to those in your circle of influence who are lost. Get this, church. It's God's plan for expanding his kingdom on earth. Save people in the church, planting the seed of the word of God into hearts of lost people outside of the church. That's why our mission at Fellowship Baptist is to help people find and follow Jesus. This is what we're about. Missions is our mission. We could do a lot of things as a church, but everything we do must be connected to this mission or we're failing in our responsibility to grow the kingdom of God. Listen, you aren't part of a church for your own comfort. And you're not a part of a church for your own convenience or so that you can consume. Hear me, you are part of a church so that you might participate in kingdom work through the local church. So how do you become a successful sower? How do you plant the seed of the gospel in the hearts of those around you? What initiative should you take? Well, it's very simple. You should start here. Live the gospel. Live it. Jesus said, ye are the light of the world and ye are the salt of the earth. Last time I checked, light and salt, they don't talk. They don't talk. So when he initially gave his disciples a title in the Sermon on the Mount, right at the front end of it, he gave them two titles that had to do with the way they lived, the way they walked, not the way they talked. So, so, so hear me, hear me. People really don't care what you have to say until you live it first. If, if you aren't light in darkness and salt in a bitter world, then you can stand on a platform or behind a pulpit or take your Bible to work and you will not have an ounce of credibility unless your life speaks louder than your message. Foundationally, you must live the gospel at home if you want your kids to get it. You must live the gospel at work if you want your co-workers to get it. You must live the gospel out in the community if you want lost people to get it. You should be the kind of person that people look at and they sense something is different about you. The way you respond to an offense. The level of composure that you're able to have with the help of the Spirit of God in tense and stressful situations. The way you deal with a policy change at work that you disagree with. The way you deal with a cranky boss, an unreasonable boss, and an unfair boss. Are you hearing me? The way you carry yourself in a church service. Your kids ought to see a difference in you at home as compared to their friends who are lost when they look at their parents. There ought to be some noticeable salt and light difference. But hear me, you don't just live it. You've got to speak the gospel at some point. 
Faith cometh by hearing. A preacher speaks. We don't speak until we live. But God will inevitably, if you really live the gospel, you live like you're a saved disciple, God will give you open doors to speak it. And the problem is most Christians have a hard time going through the open door. They can live it all day long, but they resort to what I call lifestyle evangelism, and that's it because they don't have the spirit-filled boldness to share the gospel clearly with the lost when God does open the door. Imagine I was leading you down a trail in a hike. You were right behind me, and I saw a snake five feet in front of me. If I was a loving friend, I probably wouldn't just go about five feet around here, say nothing, and just hope you gather my cue and just follow me. If I saw a snake, if I saw that much of a consequence in front of me, then yes, I'm taking a five foot turn, but I'm saying, hey, there's a snake right here, so stay right over here. I'm saying something. How many know that there is a heaven and there's a hell? And a hell has a lot more consequence than a snake does. And the devil has a lot more power over a person's life than a snake does. And the consequence is greater than getting bit even by a venomous snake for the lost who are without Jesus. So there are times when with the spirit of God's boldness, you won't just say, follow me. You will say, here is the gospel. How do you do that? Sometimes it's a simple invite to church. Sometimes it's, it's telling your salvation story. Which means this, this is how I got saved. No, that door will open if, if when you get saved, God begins to transform your life from the inside out. Guess what will happen over time? People will notice. And then they might ask a question. What happened to you? That is putting it on a silver platter. Then you say, well, l- let me tell you what happened. You don't have to know everything about the book of Romans or about the salvation story in order to, to lead someone to Christ. Tell them what happened to you. Yeah. Sometimes it's, It's just praying with somebody. You know, that plants a seed of the gospel. Yeah, that's what my dad did with Marlon Meisenheimer whenever he owned his barbecue trailer. And he was about to shut it down and he was down in the dumps. And and he came out to my dad and they started talking and my dad put his arm around him and just prayed with him that God would lead and guide and direct his steps in, in the moments going forward. And he and Dorothy's life. And and, and I can say it was probably that seed that was planted that day in that parking lot, just a saved man praying with a lost man that led to Marlon Meisenheimer's salvation. It's not always saying, hey, sit down, let me preach to you. Sometimes it's living it and their curiosity is aroused or there's an opportunity to pray with them when they're going through a difficult time or they bury a loved one or they lose a job. Whatever it might be, it could be you just writing a handwritten card and putting a Bible verse at the bottom of it. There are all kinds of ways to sow a seed, but you are a sower. Kingdom growth begins with human initiation, human involvement. But thank goodness it's not entirely up to us. Look at at the rest of the first parable, verse 26 through 29. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. That means it does it automatically. First the blade, then the ear. After that, the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle. Because the harvest is come. Here's the second element of kingdom growth. It's inevitable through divine intervention. 
So it's initiated by human involvement, but it is inevitable. Harvest will come because God's involved. In other words, we plant the seed, but God brings the harvest. Hear me, God won't bring a harvest from a seed we fail to plant. But he's the only one that can bring a harvest from the seeds we do plant. Did you notice that Jesus said that the sower sows the seed, but he doesn't sit by the seed every minute of every day manufacturing its growth. No, the sower lets the seed do its thing. And Jesus said it's, it's almost a mystery. He doesn't even know how. The farmer can't fully explain every detail of how that little seed turns into a fruitful harvest. The farmer just knows what he has to do and the initiative he has to take to give that seed the best chance. Then at the end of the day, the farmer goes to bed knowing that he's relying on the soil and the seed to do what he can't do. And those that sow the word of God into hearts, those that share the gospel with others, know what we have to do to plant the seed. But we also know that, that the Lord has to divinely intervene and cause that seed to bring forth fruit. Well, I think there are a couple really practical applications we can take from this. Number one, be patient. When you plant a seed, whether it's through a church invite, social media invite, praying with somebody, writing somebody a note, sharing your salvation testimony, whatever it might be, be patient. Somebody once said this, if you can't pick the fruit, don't bruise it. Think about that. Don't be pushy. Don't nag. Don't be annoying. Don't say, catch up with me or I'm leaving you behind. Don't shove it down somebody's throat. Just, just plant little seeds of the gospel as God opens the door and then let God's work do it, his word do its work. Yeah, don't get so impatient that you hurt the potential of a harvest. But then do this, be dependent on God. What do you do after you plant a seed? You pray. You pray. You water the seed of the gospel through dependent prayer to God. Maybe you might plant a seed by inviting someone to church. Right after you invite them, start praying for them to come. You need divine intervention. Maybe you get to pray with somebody that, that's going through something difficult. Right after you pray with them, go get in your prayer closet and pray for them that that moment, that spiritual interaction with them would yield a harvest. Maybe you get to tell your salvation story, your testimony. Right after you tell your testimony, you should start praying that God would cause that story to bring forth fruit. See, I think a big reason why so many believers plant seeds but never see a harvest is because they fail to water the seed with dependent prayer. They wipe their hands. I've invited, I've invited them. Now my conscience is clear. Now I can just go on my way. I mean, I gave them an invite to Easter. That's all I can do. Come Christmas time, I'll give them one more. That's all I can. I told my coworker, I just, I just kind of subtly hinted at the fact that we have a special day at church and God's going to do the rest. Well, you have not because you ask not. There is something about asking and seeking and knocking that activates the heart of God for us. He said it. He said it in a parable. He taught the fact that, that your shameless persistence Brings forth fruit. It yields a result. I, I can remember the latter part of 2017 uh, when, when Kara Payton came because she, her, her daughter was going to Fellowship Baptist Academy and she began to come to 
Fellowship Baptist Church. I can remember she came into my office. I wasn't the pastor at the time, uh, but they would have been part of my connection group in the age demographic that I was ministering to. And, and so I wanted just to get to know her. And, and she had a salvation testimony, wanted to come to our church, wanted to be a part of our church. But she had this humongous burden for her husband who wasn't interested in anything church related. He had had some bad experiences with churches in the past. And she said, I don't know if he'll ever come, but if I get him through the door, can you please go introduce yourself to him and, and, and whatnot? And so eventually she got him through the door. Wives have a way of doing that sometimes. And he came to the door and I, I met him for the first time, a super salt of the earth kind of guy, down to earth kind of guy. I said, I like that guy. Really different for me, but I like him. Just a cool guy to talk to. And, and so we eventually went out to Cattleman's to have steak fingers and mashed potatoes. Just what, what we do. And, and was able to talk to him a little bit about his church background and what's going on. And, and I said, hey, can we, can we start a Bible study maybe? And right when I left Cadman's that day, I prayed for Wes. And it was that year where we were doing Reach Your One journals. And I wrote him right at the top. And I said, man, God has given me the one right here. I'm going to pray and pray and pray. And other people were watering that seed. And other people were praying for Wes. And, and it wasn't long before we started that Bible study. And Wes, was it the first or second one? Do you remember? It was the first one. It's almost like we had watered at the point where it was ready just to burst out of the ground. There was no more watering that had to be done. No more cultivation had to be done. I shared the gospel with John chapter 3. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish by the everlasting life. And I asked him to track back in his life. Has there been a time when you trusted Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation? And he said, no. I said, you want to do that? He said, absolutely. I still have the picture on my phone right outside of the conference room where, where that, that little seed that was planted by his wife, by, by Doug and Crystal Knutchen, by myself, was prayed over for weeks. It finally bore fruit. But we prayed for that to happen. Justin and Brittany Alexander were in my office several months ago, wanted to join our church. So I asked for Brittany's testimony, crystal clear testimony of salvation. I asked for Justin's testimony. It was just, it was just a little wobbly, a little shaky. And I said, hey, let's, let's, let's talk a little deeper about, about your salvation. You, I, I'm not going to push you anything like that, but you think about it. Let, let's talk in a week or two. I'll be praying for you. And right when he walked out of my office, I started praying for Justin. Praying for Justin. It was like three or four hours later, I get a text on my phone saying, can we meet tomorrow? And he came into my office and he was ready to call upon Christ to be his savior. Divine intervention. But somebody has to plant the seed, then be patient and be dependent on God through prayer. I know some of y'all are planting seeds. How, how, how well are you watering them? Because last time I checked, I can plant a seed to try to grow grass in my backyard. It ain't going to happen if I don't have no water. How, how much are you praying for the seeds that you plant? Kingdom growth, number one, is initiated by human involvement. Number two, it's inevitable through divine intervention. But Jesus gives one more short parable to teach the last element of kingdom growth. It's in verses 30 through 32. And he said, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? With what comparison shall we compare it? He said, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up, becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Here's the final element. Kingdom growth will be exponential because of God's power. I love this, man. 
that this is such an encouraging truth for the disciples and for the church today. Watch, the kingdom will grow. It's inevitable because God's involved. But what's really awesome is Jesus goes a step further and says it's not just going to grow a little. It will grow exponentially because God's touch is on it. And he uses the mustard seed as an illustration. The mustard seed was one of the smallest seeds in the Middle East. A tiny mustard seed would be planted in a garden and it would eventually grow to around 15 feet and have long enough, thick enough branches for birds to nest in. The idea is clear. What started small experienced exponential growth over time. And Jesus said, such is the kingdom of God. Do you understand that when Jesus came, Mark chapter 1, and said, I'm going to preach the gospel, the the, the time of the kingdom, it is now, it is at hand, I am starting it right now. And I'm going to start with 12 ordinary disciples, most of which were fishermen. And by the time he trained them three years later, he looked at them and said, now it's up to you to expand the kingdom. And I could imagine in Acts chapter one, when Jesus gave them the the great commission to preach the gospel to all the world, they looked at each other and said, there's only like 120 of us. There was an original 12 and and some additional that that had come on board since that point. But I, I could hear them saying, we are nothing but a mustard seed. We are like a small church. And he wants us to reach the world. Has he looked at the size of the world lately and the size of our church lately? But they followed by faith and Peter preached his first message in Acts chapter 2 on a day of Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved, baptized and added to the church. A few days later, he preached in the temple court. 5,000 people got saved and baptized and added to the church. That's called exponential growth. But it doesn't stop there because many of those new converts were discipled and brought along and they were called to preach the gospel and they were called to start churches and they were called to be missionaries. And so they went out and you get guys like this, the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy. And you study the book of Acts on their missionary journeys, how they went to villages and towns and regions round about and they preach the word of God and people got saved. And then people in those churches that they led to Christ began to go out and plant churches and become missionaries. And some Somewhere down the road, thousands of years later, the gospel made its way to southwest Kansas. From the Middle East, thousands of years ago, it has expanded to the bottom corner of Kansas in a place called Fellowship Baptist Church. And from Fellowship Baptist Church... There has been men that that have come from our congregation like Coleman Gabbard and Mike Ranspot and John Vaught and Albert King and Mike Collins who were all sent out. John Nelson, Kevin Metzinger who were all sent out to start churches or be missionaries or be pastors. And now there are men in those churches that are now called to be pastors and go into different places. And there will be men in those churches that get, do you get the idea? And we got men like Kevin Hall our missionary to South Africa that we met last week. And he spent four to six years over there in South Africa and he planted all these little churches. And now he comes back to tell us the good news that out of these little churches that he planted, there are a lot of young men that feel like they want to go and plant churches. And so now his plan going back to South Africa in two or three weeks is to build a building to become a Bible college so that he could train these young men and send them out to start churches and they will start churches and young men from those churches will start. Do you get the idea? Hallelujah. The kingdom of God won't stop growing because even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. If we preach it, if we plan it, 
If we share it, God will touch it. And it will grow a couple really encouraging things from this. Church, when, when we give our missions money every week, I mean, let's just think about it. $340,000 is a lot of money. But when you look at the need, it really starts to pale in comparison. But God has a way of taking a sack lunch, just, just a little 340, and multiplying it around the world. And your faithful missions giving, though it might seem so small, week after week, month after month, God will touch it. And he will send it and churches will be started and souls will be saved and preachers will be trained and missionaries will be sent because you gave faithfully. He'll touch it. He'll touch it. Don't get overwhelmed with the smallness of your gift. How small it might seem to you, give it because you got a mighty big God. I, I think of. I think of ministries in our own church. That, that we start and they, they seem so small and insignificant. But then God touches them and they grow. Somebody had to start the bus ministry in Fellowship Baptist Church. And how many know a bus route doesn't start with 50 kids? It starts with one. But there was somebody in, in, in the church 30, 40 years ago that had a burden to pick up kids that couldn't make it to church on their own. And from that now, we, we, we have at times picked up over 150 at a time. There are times now where it would about 75 every Sunday that we pick up. Kids that would never come. But it had to start with one and God touched it. And by the way, our pastor and one of our deacons, my Uncle Rick, they're here today because somebody planted a mustard seed ministry in Tyrone, Oklahoma. So where, where's the next bus route? When's that going to get started? Who's the person in here that needs to plant a seed in one of the trailer parks in liberal Kansas and say, I'm going to adopt that one and I'm going to pick up kids and I'm going to reach kids and I'm going to reach their parents and I'm going to share the gospel with them. It's amazing that, that, that on every side of our building right now, there are seeds being planted in the hearts of, of, of little children. It's amazing. God bless you. I agree with that. Let it go, girl. Just let it go. I feel sorry for the head in front of you, but let it go. I kind of caught that a little bit on my right hand, but no, I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. Um, sometimes that's just a woman's way of saying, I agree with you, brother. I agree with you. Um, how many know that, that there are Sunday school teachers that planted seeds in little hearts today? There's children's church volunteers that are planting seeds in little hearts. And what you might do in a children's ministry on a weekly basis or as a nursery worker on a weekly basis might seem so small. But watch God touch that. And watch that, that, that compound interest start to build as the gospel and the word of God is put into their little heart. And eventually it will reap a harvest because what God touches bears fruit. And some of you, you're planting seeds at work. And you're trying to have an influence around your community. And sometimes in such a godless society, you feel about that big. And you think, I don't know if I can even touch this place with the gospel. It seems like I'm so out influenced. And no matter how loud I can be, they'll still be louder. And all you have is a mustard seed of an opportunity. But you plan it. You be faithful to watch God give you open doors. And then, and then you plant those seeds, you water it through prayer, and you watch God's power touch it. It'll be amazing.
kingdom growth. It's initiated by human involvement. It is inevitable because of divine intervention and its growth will be exponential because of God's power. It happens when human initiative meets divine intervention. Do you agree with the word of God? Say amen. amen. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye.